Thanks for being here on Memorial Day. Obviously, lots of our people uh, like to travel and do things, so we love them too. If, if they're listening online, we love you, but uh, wish you were here. Spirit of God's here. I'm sure he's other places too, but uh, <laughs> we'll get there. Okay, so we're in this series we're calling Witness. We're walking through the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is a record put together by uh, a cat named Luke. Luke, who was a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul, amongst other things, he was also a medical doctor, and he went uh, for a wealthy friend of his who funded his investigation of the first 30 years of the Jesus movement, and in the book of Acts, we have recorded for us highlights from that first 30 years, uh, parts of the story that Luke wanted us to know about uh, because he thought for other people it would be good that they understood what God was doing in the early church. And so that's what we've been studying, the book of Acts. And we're calling our series Witness because what we see in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus, those who walk with him, uh, they come to see who Jesus is, the power that he has. They, they saw Jesus die on the cross and then rise three days later. So they're witnesses to the power of God working in Jesus. And then they, in turn, because they are witnesses of these things, are now called to go become witnesses, which is to go tell other people, to show, to reveal to the next generation the power of God available in Jesus Christ. So uh, we've been saying we are witnesses so that we can be witnesses in the world. That is the pattern that we see in Acts. That's what the whole book is about. Uh, what does it mean to witness to what God is doing, who God is, his power that comes, as we'll see, through uh, his spirit, which he sends. The spirit of the Father and the Son are sent to us, and, and powerful things happen. So that's where we are. Last week we talked about repentance and baptism and we said one of the most powerful witnesses to God is a changed life. I once walked in this way, now I'm walking in this way. I once believed these things about God, now I believe these things about God and His Son Jesus Christ. I've had a change of mind and a change of lifestyle. That's a powerful witness. And then we said uh, one of the things to mark this powerful trans transformation that happens when, the spirit, when you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God sends his spirit and it baptizes you and you start to become a new creation. And, and we reenact that through one of the sacraments in the church known as baptism, which is a public declaration that I said, Caesar was once Lord, now Jesus Christ is, is Lord. And we mark that uh, through immersion, believers immersion in the water. I die with Christ, my sin dies with Christ, and then we raise uh, them up out of the water say, to walk in newness of life, empowered by the Holy Spirit to a new world that's, that's now open to us because we have freedom and the power of God living with us. And, and that sort of public declaration, that sort of public commitment, that sort of a public cry is so rare in our world it's a powerful witness that something has actually happened that you would commit for the rest of my life. I'm following Jesus. He's my, he's my Lord. He's master of my life. So we talked about that last week. And now we'll continue to walk and we'll see what else the Holy Spirit does when he comes into a believer's life and makes them into a witness. And this week we'll look at healing. Okay. What's important to understand about healing is that uh, in the time that the Jesus movement was beginning, the healing arts were immensely important in the society, in culture, 
There's healing centers. People would travel long distances to go to these healing shrines where they would worship gods, these gods, lowercase g, whose primary job was to heal. So people would come and they would give up their money. Uh, they would perform all sorts of rituals at these temples, at these shrines, to these healing gods in hopes that they would experience healing. So it's incredibly important, the healing arts in the time of the apostles. So the other thing that was happening in this time in ancient Roman Empire was that there was medicine. Medicine was important, but doctors and medicine were really only available to the extremely elite, the, the extremely wealthy in the society. But it was important, and, and there were doctors, and we obviously see that medicine was important, and people are trying to, through trial and error, figure out how to harness nature to create healing. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, Healing's always important. It's always important in human cultures. People always care about it. And today, the healing arts are still immensely important in our culture. If you were just in Google Maps and, and, and you just Googled healing, hundreds of places around the Seattle area would pop up healing centers of all kinds, all shapes and sizes of healing centers that you could go to that advertise, we will help you with healing. I mean, you just have to walk into any coffee shop. When you go, I always like to go into coffee shops. And I like to see what's on the wall, what people are advertising. And what you'll see is lots of options for different ways to receive healing. And obviously, we know this, we live in a medical age. Medicine is creating all new types of technologies. We're discovering all sorts of things. And medicine heals as well. And we believe in our healers, our doctors and nurses and things in our society. It's abundantly clear that people are looking for healing, and they're looking for it in a variety of ways. And so the question we want to ask is, what does Christianity teach or promise or offer in regards to this important thing that people at all times and in all places have, have desired? Is there healing available through God? Or, or do we just say, we can help spiritual healing, we can help you understand the mind of God, but we cannot speak to physical, tangible healing in the world today. You're going to have to look somewhere else. That's the question. What does the Bible say? Well, I think it's informative to, to, to understand that 25% of the Gospels, that's the four books of the Bible that recount the life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus, 25% of the Gospel are records of healing miracles. 25%. It's also important to understand that the name Jesus, the Hebrew, which that comes from, means Savior. Now, the Greek word that we translate Savior is sozo. And sozo has two meanings. One, to save. And the second is to heal. I don't think that's an accident. Jesus saves and heals. The Old Testament understanding of God was also that he is a healer. Lots of scriptures, lots of prayers accounted God heal your people, heal the land. In Exodus 15, 26, it says this, I am the Lord, your healer. So it seems that God is a God that wants to heal. Jesus is a Savior who does heal. What else can we say? It's amazing when you study the, mo the Jesus movement and, and what happened with the Jesus movement. Healing is always a part 
It's always a, an important part of what God is doing, even in the world today. And one of the things you realize is that uh, God has always been working in and through people to understand nature and, and anatomy and biology and the, and the chemistry of, of this world better so that we can bring real tangible benefit to the world. And so medicine and hospitals, that has always been Christians who are on the forefront pushing, finding new ways in God's good creation to, to harness nature that we might experience healing, relief in our world. If you just read a history of hospitals, history of medicine, you cannot read that without seeing that it was Christians on the forefront pushing it forward so that medicine and doctors weren't just available to the elite, weren't just available to the wealthy, but were available to the common man and woman. That was Christians. And I love medicine. I love it. I'm so thankful for medicine. Well, I've, I've had several of these, but in 2013, I had a particularly large kidney stone. And if you've ever experienced kidney stones, you know that it's incredibly painful. If you haven't, drink lots of water. And I had a kidney stone that was so large that I couldn't pass it naturally. So for about a month, I just kept having these recurring episodes where the stone uh, was trying to exit my body, and it wouldn't. Believe it or not, I had to have surgery. I, I'm telling you, Without modern medicine, I don't know what I would have done. I probably still have the stone <laughs> right now. I mean, thank God for modern medicine that, I mean, there was laser beams involved and all sorts of stuff that I don't understand. They, 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 they broke it into a million pieces, and, and I'm feeling great today. <laughs> I love medicine. I love medical workers. My wife is a nurse. I love my wife. She brings healing to people. Many of you, uh, we've got to have one of the highest percentage of medical professionals in any church in the city, partially because uh, the church started with my wife going to work and inviting her coworkers to, uh, to worship with us, and, and she works at Seattle Children's Hospital. And so we've got tons of medical workers. You know, I, I think we are perhaps never more like God than when we're helping hurting people. So if you're a medical worker, thank you for the work that you do. It's so important. You are modeling for the world what God is like. You're never more like God than when you're helping hurting people. And that can go for those of us who know nothing. I mean, last week, I thought the pancreas and the prostate were the same thing. <laughs> they both started with P. I just got it wrong. Thanks to Pastor Ryan. He, corrected me. You know, I know nothing, so I need, we need the help of, of professionals. Okay. And even when medicine can't find a problem, or even when there's an incurable disease, it's Christians who must be on the forefront of caring for hurting and dying people. Uh, we had a guy, Tyler Tate, who was a part of our church, and he left because he was going back to do his fellowship, fellowship in palliative care, end-of-life care. So we want to help hurting people, even those who are hurting and dying. I think what we see generally in the history of Christianity is that healing and the gospel of Jesus Christ always are closely related. Now let's look at the early church, the first 30 years, and see 
What kind of healing is happening? Because we're trying to figure out if somebody Googles healing today in Seattle, should churches pop up? Does healing happen in the church today? And so let's look at the early church and see what is happening. So if you've got your Bible, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 3, and we are going to look at an account. So let's read, starting in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Peter and John are two of the apostles. They followed Jesus during his life and ministry, and they're uh, prominent leaders in the early church. Verse 2, And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the table, or sorry, the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he, that's the beggar, asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Look at us. What, a, what an interesting thing, right? Look at us. Because we, we kind of think to be a Christian uh, means don't be vain, don't ever say look at us. But when you are becoming, by the power of the Spirit, a witness to Jesus, we should be saying, look at us. Look at our life. It's okay to say that. If you're, if you're surrendering your life to Christ, you're being renewed, you're being made into a new creation by the power of the Spirit uh, within you. Look, look at us. Now, here's what's going on. There's a man who has, for his whole life, received uh, what he needs to buy his food and live his life by sitting at, at, at a, a beautiful gate at the entrance to the temple where people would come to worship. And it was a Jewish practice to give alms. And uh, it, was, it was required by Jewish custom of the day that all worshipers of God should give alms, which is to give a little bit of your money to those who cannot make money on their own. And so that's what he's doing. That's what he's been doing. He's been sitting, receiving alms. This was a, a common, common Jewish religious practice. And what, what we're going to see here is, is Peter and James are going to, uh, Peter and John are going to say, well, we don't have any alms to give you. And what, what, he's, what this passage is not teaching us is that we don't ever give to those in need. It's not teaching that. What it is teaching is that just doing what everybody else does for the poor, for the needy, for the broken, for the hurting, that's not enough. Do something more than the rest of the world does for those who are hurting. Do something more because you have available to you a power that the world knows not of. The power of God dwells within you through His Spirit, so you need to do something more. And this is such an important point because it feels like for Christians, we're just always trying to catch up these days and do what the world is already doing. We need to do something more than the world does because we have a power that the world does not have through Christ in us. Okay? So let's see what Peter and John do. So the, the man fixed his eyes and his attention on them, expecting to receive something, something from them. What is he expecting to receive? Alms. Because that's what everybody gave him. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. 
And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him. They witnessed this. They saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms for all those years. Years and years, every time they came, the same man was there. And now he's the one rejoicing God, walking in the temple courts. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wow. They do something more than this man even knew to ask for. They did something more. There was a young woman named uh, Cicely Saunders who lived in England uh, in the middle of the 20th century, and she was a nurse, uh, and she was giving her life to the medical profession, and then as a young woman, she went on holiday, as the British say, which is, just means vacation. <laughs> she went on holiday with some close friends of hers who happened to be Christians, and she was not a Christian, and went on holiday, and something happened while on vacation, she became a Christian. I just love that part of her story. How many times have we vacationed? with our friends who do not yet know Jesus, how many of them come back from vacation now Christians? A little challenge to those of you who are listening online. Who are you, <laughs> who are you with right now, okay? So Cicely Saunders, on vacation with her Christian friends, comes back, now she's a Christian. She believes, she's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and she says, there must be more. There must be more that we could do. And uh, she uh, has some experiences of dealing with the sick and the dying, and she says, there must be more that we could do. So she decides, I'm going to go back and become a medical doctor. Uh, and, and she keeps feeling, there's got to be more, there's got to be more. And, and her heart was filled with compassion that she knew not of before vacationing with her friends because she'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And she goes, she becomes a doctor, she begins to study um, end-of-life care, and, and she decides there's got to be more. And in 1967, she starts the first hospice care. And she is the mother of modern hospice care, caring for the sick and the dying in their last days, holistic care for them. And what started with Cicely Saunders all those years ago has spread almost across the whole world uh, when you think of hospice in America, you owe it to Cicely Saunders because she said there's got to be something more than we can do for these sick and dying people to show them dignity, care, compassion, and the end of their life. This is what it means to be a Christian. There's got to be more that we could do than just what everybody else is doing. It doesn't mean that, that there weren't people caring for the sick and the dying. It just means, Cicely said, there's got to be more. And she starts uh, what we now know as hospice. And it spreads across the world. It is better. <laughs> it's all because of her relationship with Christ. So, they say, I'm going to give you something more. And, and they, the man is healed. Now, by whose power was this man healed was it, was it by the power of Peter or the power of John? No, look, look again with me. What does Peter say in verse 6? 
He just says, I have no silver, no gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What I have, what does he have? The Spirit of Jesus Christ living within him. He says, I'm going to give it to you. He grabs his hand and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, so whose power is this happening? Now, Peter understands that this could be confusing. So he actually is going to go, right after all of this happens and the people are amazed, um, he's going to go and he's going to start preaching. He's going to explain to them what's happened. So look at verse 11. Say, while he clung to Peter and John, that's the beggar, all the people utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So it's this long colonnade where people would often uh, gather and teach. And Peter, when he saw all these people coming to him, he addressed the people. He said, men and women of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or our own piety, we have made him walk. He's saying, of course it's not us. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, the God that you are here in the temple worshiping, glorified his servant, Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When when he had decided to release him, Pilate had wanted to release him, but the people said, no, crucify him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be, gathered, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. And you killed him. You were in some ways responsible for him hanging on the cross. You killed the author of life. Whom God then raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. John and Peter had seen the risen Jesus. We, they were witnesses by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. That's beautiful. By whose power? He said, let me explain it to you. By the power of the one that you yelled crucify. This is important. So turn with me now to Acts chapter 9. We're going to see the exact same thing happening. Acts chapter 9, just a few pages over, verse 32 says this, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came also to the saints who live in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, beridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the res- residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Remember, we talked about this last week. Repentance means they turned, which means that somebody explained to them the power that raised this man was the power of Jesus, and you have access to that same power through faith in Jesus Christ. And so they repented, they turned from their old way, they turned to Jesus, and they were saved because of the witness of this man being healed. Who, who raised him? Jesus Christ heals you, Peter says. So it's always by the power of Jesus. Now, when we say, in the name of Jesus, be raised, this is not some sort of magical incantation. 
Like if we just say the words in the right order, it's going to raise people. That's, that's not what's happening here. When we say, in the power of Jesus you're raised, or in the name of Jesus you're raised, we are invoking the presence of Jesus into the moment through his spirit. That's what we are doing. Now, this is really important, and, and you'll see elsewhere where um, people could make a mistake and think that you know, this is just some sort of magic. If I just say these words in this order, people will experience healing. That's not what's happening here. By saying the name of Jesus, you're invoking his presence. You're asking him to come. Come, Lord Jesus, through your spirit, come and heal this person. Okay, now turn with me to Acts 14. Acts 14, we're going to see one more account that's really going to help us get to this important, important understanding of by whose power, by whose power. Often the world gets, gets this wrong. So, look at chapter 14, verse 3 says this. Now, now we've actually moved into a new era, or a new, not an era, just a new part of the story where Paul and Barnabas are traveling uh, further away from Jerusalem, and the same things are happening. Verse 3, so they remained there for a while and bore witness. Sorry. So they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, Freudian slip there. I don't love Freud, but great little slip. Okay, I got a slipped up there. But it helps us to see. This is an important point. Speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness. Okay? The Lord who bore witness. Now this gets back to what we've been saying all along, that, that it begins and, he, and it ends with the Lord. It begins and it ends with the Spirit. So it's the Lord who bears witness through the instrumentation, which is Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. Okay? That's so important. So I said last week, we're like uh, instruments. like We're like the trumpet, and God provides the breath and the power through which makes the noise. But we get to be, it's a great privilege to be these instruments. Our hands and our feet become the instruments that God will use in healing. So that's what's happening here. Now, now we go jump down to verse 8 in chapter 14. It says this. Now we get a specific example of a healing. Now they go to a new city, to Lystra. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles heard it, they tore their garments and they rushed out into the crowd, crying out loud, Men, why are you doing these things? We are but men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from those vain things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you the rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So you see what's happening? Incredible power, 
goes out from them. A man is raised to walk who has never walked in his entire life, and the people think that Paul and Barnabas are gods. It's their old way of thinking, that there are many gods, and they come to us at times, and they do miraculous things, and our job is to sacrifice to them. So the people are doing what they've always known, and they get it wrong. And Paul says, wait, 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 no, stop, stop. Do not do this to us. We are but men. We are like you. We just have the power of the living God in us through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's why this is so important to understand. Healings are always, when you read it in the book of Acts, always juxtaposed with preaching because it can be really confusing. Maybe I should worship this man. Maybe I should worship uh, this God. No, no, no. Let me explain to you what's happening. Let me explain to you where this power is coming from. It's not from us. It's from the living God who has sent his spirit, who has breathed upon us, that we might just be instruments of his healing power. And so you always see this. Healing juxtaposed with preaching. Those always go together. And they always should go together. Because we need, to be exp- we need exp- explanation of what is happening. And that comes through the preaching of God's word. Human hearts will always try to get the healing without the worship of the one true living God. That's the pattern you see in all of human history. Well, is there a way I can get the healing without making Jesus my Lord? Do I really have to go down that path of giving away everything that I am to this Jesus? Can I just have some of the good things that he offers? That's what the hardness of the human heart will always do. We want the healing, but we don't want the lordship. Give me the healing, I'll leave the lordship to those uber-spiritual, uber-religious people. Just give me the healing. I want the healing. I don't want anything else. So so at this point, ask yourself that question. Do you only worship God, do you only pray, do you only call upon his name when you need healing? If you're like me, it does seem that my prayers, my worship intensifies when I need something from the healing God. Turn back with me to chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. I won't read the whole thing, but, but after... Peter explains, hey, this is, this is where the power comes from. It's not from us. It's from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who has come in the person of his son Jesus who we saw risen from the grave. He'll go on in verse 17. He'll say, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that Christ should suffer so that he, can, that he thus fulfilled So, verse 19, repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that at times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And then he goes on to explain, if if we read the rest of this little sermonette that he preaches, he will go on to explain. Actually, just look at at the last verse here, verse 26. God raised up his servant, Jesus, whom he sent to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So the power that you just saw somebody raised 
to walk again. It's available to you, but here's how it comes. You must turn from your wicked ways and turn to the life-giving, refreshing lordship of Christ in your life. You say, well, why, why do you gotta get, why you gotta go there, Peter? Why do you gotta get so serious about sin? Why can't we just give glory and praise to God that he has healed somebody? And this is really, really important if we're going to understand how healing always works in the Bible. And because I think it's how healing will work today. Okay? Healing, like I said, is always juxtaposed with preaching. And preaching must always have belief in Jesus and repentance from your sin. They're so connected. And here's why. Healing isn't an end in and of itself. When we understand the plan of God and why he uses even the supernatural healings of Jesus and, and why he uses healings in the book of Acts, and I think why, as we'll see in a second, healing can still happen today in the church, is because it is a glimpse for us of a new and refreshing life that is possible in God's kingdom. Here's how it goes. In the past age, there was God and his spirit was available to individuals at specific times and for specific purposes. Now that Jesus Christ has come and poured out his spirit, we're in the present age, in the age of the church, uh, the spirit is now for all Christians. And in a future age, Christ will return and the full presence of God will be with his people at all times and in all places in each and every person in the new kingdom, okay? So that's the progression of God's plan. So what you see in the Old Testament before Jesus came was some healings because he did send his spirit, but it was very limited, and it was usually for very specific, important people that they might do specific acts for the mission of God. Now in the present age, the age of the church, we see many healings done by the disciples, so much so that Luke often just records, and they did many signs and wonders, many healings were performed in the name of Jesus, and it's not just for specific people so that they can perform the, uh, the mission of God. It's for all people, the poor and the powerless, the lowly, can receive healing in Jesus' name. And the future age will come when all will be healed. There will be no tears. There will be no paralysis. There will be no illness. There will be no pain whatsoever. That's the kingdom come in full, okay? So in the past age, God was present, but because of the sin of the people, he had to remove himself. Now, in the present age, God comes through Jesus Christ. He puts on our flesh and comes by the power of the Spirit. Jesus comes onto the scene, and then Jesus sends his Spirit on all Christians. And then in the future, God will be with us in full. Okay, So why am I walking you through this? So to understand when the Spirit moves and somebody is healed in the book of Acts, or today in the church, it's always, always, to one, glorify Jesus Christ and the new age that he's inaugurated by his coming, by his death and his resurrection and his sending of the Spirit, and more importantly, to give us a foretaste, a glimpse into this future kingdom that is coming that we might have longing and anticipation. So look with me um, right before this story of healing at the very end of chapter two, uh, what we see is a beautiful picture of what was happening in the early church. Verse 42, 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. 
So, so this is two layers of what's happening with this foretaste. And we'll come back and look at some of these elements um, later as, as they, they come out of the text in more detailed ways. But what always happens in the age of the church, in the present age, is that we have two new realities that we just get to glimpse. The first is that there's a new community. This is a collective body. The church is this new community, and they do things different. There's a kind of love amongst one another. There's a kind of sacrifice amongst one another. There's a kind of fellowship and relationship that's so uncommon in this world that gives us a glimpse into the life to come. That's the church. That's us. And then, the second thing is that we get glimpses of what an individual's physical body will be like in the future, which is we're experiencing these glimpses of healing that are happening. But it's never in full, which is to say, you know, somebody says to you, well, I don't really know if I want to be in God's kingdom if it looks like the church. And then you always say, well, it's not exactly like the church. When we do it right, there's glimpses of it, but it's not in full. And so when we ask about, well, why aren't all Christians healed? Well, God is just giving us foretaste, glimpses. Somebody says, man, you just moved here. You're like, Seattle's so nice in May. 80 degrees. You're like, well, that's actually just a foretaste. (laughs) There's probably about another month, month and a half, where you could be in the 50s, it could be raining. But it, it is really nice here for four days in August. And so it's a, it's a foretaste, okay? That's what's happening with these healings. They are but a foretaste of what is to come in our personal, physical bodies. That's so important to say. The reason why healings happen in the Bible is that in the kingdom of God, it is not just a spiritual kingdom. It is a physical kingdom. Our bodies matter to God. He created them. The body and the soul are connected in ways that they cannot be separated. And so when we experience, when we see, when we witness physical healing, it's a reminder that God cares about the whole person. He, he, he is bringing his kingdom in all aspects of life, physical, spiritual, regeneration of all things. But healings are not the kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's full, personal presence reigning over and with his people. So some will experience the healing realities of the kingdom right now, but others will not. But everyone can experience the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life here and now. And that's why we always preach and why our preaching must always lead to a call to repentance to receive forgiveness from Jesus. Because some will experience healing, but all can experience the promise of eternal life, the hope, the freedom of, uh, that comes with the forgiveness of sin. So we preach to everyone and pray and hope and call upon the Spirit of, of God to come down and heal some. And if it does happen, it's a bonus. But if it doesn't, We still have freedom, forgiveness of sin, and the promise of eternal life. You could say it another way. In the book of Acts and in all the New Testament, physical healing is always subordinate to spiritual healing. Both are important, but you got to get them in the right order. You got to get them in the right order. Sadly, as I said before, the world tends to, to either get it backwards or 
doesn't want any of the spiritual healing. They just want the physical. So get to it already, Dave. Get to it. Get to it. Does God heal today? Does God heal today? Or is this just an exercise in our minds? I think he does heal today, and so I'd like to call a witness to the stand. My good friend Chip, he is going to witness to us and share his story of God's healing. Hey, Chip. Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Dave asked me to talk. You might look, first look and say, like, well, this isn't complete healing, obviously. So five years ago, I was uh, in Chicago, living in Chicago, and uh, I was riding down uh, the street on my scooter, coming home from church, actually, on Easter, and I was just not really paying attention, going straight, and this guy tried to zip across the street in, in a van and just took me out. I didn't even see him. I woke up in the ambulance, and they were worried I had a concussion because my head was bleeding and all this. I had broken ribs, and I was like, I'm pretty sure something's wrong with my legs, you know. Um, I was, I had, it was like pain, 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 nothing. So I got to the hospital. Uh, I, I was diagnosed with a spinal cord injury. So I have, uh, it's my T12 vertebrae, which is about right here. It's a pretty big vertebrae, and it was in like 18 pieces or something. And then after the surgery, they said, you know, I was like, what are my chances of walking again and everything? And they were like, you know, very, very tiny chance, like 2 to 5% chance. And I was like, what if I work really hard, you know? And they are like, yeah, I don't know, you know. Um, and then I found out many months later that the doctor, this neurosurgeon who was like very, very good neurosurgeon, he, he pulled my parents aside and said, like, we didn't have the heart to tell him. He's so, like, optimistic. There's, like, zero chance that he will walk again. It's you know, you just have to figure out how to communicate him. I don't want to break his spirit right now. And I was like, so I didn't, they didn't tell me that for a while, but um, um, I had a huge support group with both my church and my parents' church back home. And that was massively uh, impactful to me to the point that like, I couldn't, it was like, I had to spend like an hour a day going through letters and people wanted to visit. And so to try to, I wasn't like, getting enough rest, so I started a blog so that people could refer to it. And in the blog, I'd say, like, obviously pray for healing. I'd always end it with a prayer. Here's what happened today. Still no feeling. Still no, I had no feeling and no motion. Um, and uh, from, from the waist, and I was just, like, laying in bed every day. Like, this is, Psalms was, like, massively impactful during that time, if you haven't. It's like, you know, David cries out to the Lord, things like that. But I'd always pray for healing at the end. Dear Lord, please, please give me understanding. Please give me patience. And after weeks of this, still like weeks of no motion, no feeling, I think I'd started to have some feeling. I said, maybe we're being too general. Maybe we need to focus. And if you could, I will make all my energy. And if, if you can make all your prayers focused on my right big toe to move. And I had no logic behind this at all other than when I laid in bed, I looked down there and my toes were. And so... I learned later that this is, there's, when, with a spinal cord injury, not to spend too much time, but like, you might have recovery down to your knees, you might have recovery down to your ankles, um, but to have it all the way down to your toes means that the connection is complete, you know? Like, so like asking for the big toe to move was like a big ask. I didn't realize that at the time. And so I said, just pray for the big toe, just pray for the big toe, and then like all day long the next, and I blogged that, and then like all day long the next day, I was like, come on, big toe, come on. You know, I was like, just think, 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 think big toe movements. And, uh, 
and nothing. And then I was like, you know, maybe, maybe God is testing me, you know, or whatever. And so anyway, like it took like three days. And then the, my big, right back, big toe is the very first thing to move, which is like, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, all right, everybody pray for my, you know, full ankle movement. You know? um, but uh, yeah, anyway, I didn't realize at the time, but that was like hugely important to like, so now I can climb stairs, but only with my right foot because the toe is the first thing you need to like lift. And anyway, I, I still go through it. And my, I saw the neurosurgeon months later as a, as a checkup, like a three month checkup. And I like crossed my legs in the meeting and he was like, what, what was that? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, you're wrong. You know, um, oh, you didn't know what you're doing. No, I'm just, I was, um, but he was extremely excited. And uh, anyway, so that's my story. Obviously, it's an it's a ongoing thing. And there's many other aspects like mental and spiritual healing. But uh, yeah, I always reference that as my, my uh, example of like prayer in action, actually. And it, and, it, and it is tough. I have to say, it is really tough because I had lots of other people in the hospital that um, I made friends with, and they were like, when, when is my prayer going to get answered? And there's wouldn't. Or like somebody dies of cancer, and they're like, I prayed that I would get healed. You know, so, I, so um, this is kind of a sticky subject for me. But um, yeah, for, in, in this example, it did, uh, you know, provide meaning for me. Thanks. Thanks, Chip. Hey, Chip, can you hang here real quick yeah, for yeah. a sec? Okay. Sure. I'd like to just pray for you. Um, I think everything that you said is so true. You know, we can't understand why God doesn't heal some and heals others and, and you know, why, you know, you're still healing, right? So I'm just going to pray for you. I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. He has a plan for Chip. And, and, and so, but I'm going to pray what I want for you. I would love for you to walk completely better than you've ever walked before that will come one day we know it will so it's okay to pray for it now so if it's all right i'll just pray for you okay god send your spirit in the name of jesus christ continue to heal this man help him to rise up and walk on his own in jesus name Thank you, Chip. Give him a round of applause, guys. Okay. There's so, mu- there's so much to what he's been through, and, and there's so much witnessing to the glory and grace of God in his life that that won't be the last time, <laughs> probably, that we ever get to hear from Chip. And He's a wonderful man, and I think God has done things through this that, that you look back on. You've told me this. You've learned things about God that, that you probably never would have, and um, that's not a reason why this happened, but it shows, again, that God does not leave us or forsake us if we turn to him in any trial. He is there with us in it. So thank you, Chip. There is testimony. There's witness to the fact that God still heals today. So the answer is yes. Does he heal today? Yes, I think he does. But there are three uh, helpful qualifiers that I'd like to make. One is this, God love, God's love is not contingent upon whether or not he answers the prayers of healing. Chip, you'd say this. I'd say this. It is not contingent. We know that God loves us when we look to the cross. 
And everyone can look to the cross and see God sending his son to die for our sin. So, that's the first caveat. Second is this. Healing might not be instantaneous, and it might not be complete on this side of eternity. Chip's story tells us that. Though we continue to pray for it and ask God, Jesus himself, uh, in one of his healing miracles, uh, he rubs his hands over a man's eyes and he says, see? And the man says, can you see? He says, well, now I see, but everything's blurry. And and Jesus himself says, okay, let's pray again. (laughs) And they pray a second time, and this time the man's full sight is revealed. So even Jesus prays, continues to pray. And I've experienced this in my own life. I've, I've had a terrible stomach for most of my life, And I've prayed and prayed and prayed that God would take that away. I mean, for 25, 30 years I've been praying this prayer. And he doesn't take it away except for when I preach. I've never once had a bad stomach while I'm preaching. So for me, I believe that God heals me for a moment and then the sermon might end and I might be, be, you know, have some stomach issues. So sometimes it works like that. And the third caveat is this. Praying for the Spirit to intercede might not lead to what you've asked for, but it's always good. It's always good. Nikki Gumbel, who is uh, the Englishman who runs the Alpha Course, tells a story about uh, the first time he ever experienced was in sort of um, uh, the preacher asked for does anybody want to be healed? And, and the preacher said, I, I think some people in the room have athlete's foot. <laughs> and he tells the story, he says, and I didn't want to stand up because I didn't want people to know I had athlete's foot. But he said, I think there's 10 people that have athlete's foot. <laughs> and only nine stood, and so his wife was hitting him in the ribs. And so he stands up, he says, ah, okay. And so they sent somebody over to pray for him. And they said, okay, do you want me to pray for you to be healed from athlete's foot? And, and he said, no, don't pray for that. <laughs> Just pray that I'd experience the Spirit. And so the guy's praying for him, and as, Nick, as Nikki recounts this story, what he says is, the, the man must have been new at this because he only had one prayer, and he just kept praying, God, give him your power. God, give him your power. And, and Nikki says he felt the Spirit of God so powerfully uh, that he started asking the guy to stop praying for him. And, and Nikki tells the story. He said, uh, they pulled me aside after the meeting and continued to pray for me because they could tell something supernatural had happened to me. Um, and the preacher actually met up with him and said, hey, uh, I sense that the Spirit of God is going to make you a great proclaimer of the gospel. That was 33 years ago. The course that Nikki Gumbel runs now, never got cured of athlete's foot, by the way, but the course that he helped to start whose videos we watch even here at Sedaris, has been watched by over 30 million people. 30 million people have heard Nicky Gumbel proclaim the gospel. And, and he attributes it a lot to that moment where he didn't want to be healed of athlete's foot, <laughs> but the guy prayed for the power of the Spirit. So that might happen. You might be praying that the power of the Spirit of God comes into your own life to heal you or comes into somebody's life Uh, that you know that needs healing and it might not have the results that you've hoped for or longed for or even prayed for, but you might help the Spirit of God come into somebody's life and that's never a bad thing because who knows what's going to happen when somebody's filled with the Spirit. So how does it work? 
How does healing work today? Well, I think always by prayer. When we pray for no one to be healed, no one gets healed. When we pray for everyone to get healed, some will experience healing. So how do we pray? Well, I think we pray for doctors, for nurses, for medical professionals. We pray for their wisdom. We pray for uh, researchers, for new discoveries. But we don't stop praying even when medicine has no answer. We keep praying because God can work outside of what we've discovered medically. When we pray, we pray in faith. We're not sure what God will do, but we know He will always do His will. So I don't think we need to pray, God, heal, if it's your will. Because we know He always and only does His will. So we can just pray. We can just ask Him and trust Him that He will do His will. Just simply ask and trust that His will is perfect. Even though we might not understand why he heals here and not here. And then I think there's power in presence. So what we see Peter do is he, he grabs and he holds the hand of the crippled man. Jesus often touches those he's healing. And, and we can't understand. It's a mystery. How does the power of God move through presence? But I think that it does. I think there's power in the personal presence. That's why Jesus came in human form. And that's actually why Jesus left and sits at the right hand of God and sends his spirit to us. Because with Jesus, there was just one filled with the spirit. And so he can only be in one place at one time. Once he sends the spirit, we, as the people of God, filled with the spirit, can be in many places at many times, taking the power of God to people by our personal presence. So if at all possible, if you know somebody that's sick, hurting, Visit them in person. Pray with them in person. And then I would say make eye contact with them. We know this in brain science, that eye contact is one of the things that engages the right side of our brain, which is the relational side of our brain. And so when the relational side of our brain is connected, when we have personal presence, when we, when we look people in the eye, we maybe lay a hand on their shoulder when we're praying for them, some divine mystery happens where the material world and the spiritual world are connected and somehow God's power flows, I believe, more effectively. Again, I don't understand it. And that's not to say that you can't pray for somebody that you're not in, in the presence of physically. But I do think if you're able to be, there's power in that. And then we pray in Jesus' name. It's not by our own power, but we pray in Jesus' name. I mean, I want you to visualize it, picture it. Your hand's on someone's shoulder. You're, you, you've looked them in the eye, and you might close your eyes to pray. But you're praying, I want you to think about praying the presence of Jesus into their life. His Spirit is in you, and I want you to pray that it goes out into the other person. The power of Jesus' Spirit. It's not magical incantation but something spiritual is happening through the physical that we can actually pray the Spirit of God into a situation. And then keep visiting, keep praying, keep calling out, crying out for God. And I think what we'll begin to witness is healing happen. And when it happens, share about it. Tell stories about it. Don't chalk it up to coincidence. Don't give all the credit to medicine. 
Because God's behind medicine too. Give credit where credit is due to God. You cannot give God too much credit for any healing that happens. He is the author of life. Anything that is living owes its credit to God. So give credit to God when you see it happening through the medical realm, through supernatural healings. Whatever it be, give credit to God. Give credit where credit is due. Is there anything else that we can do besides praying for supernatural healing? Well, of course. Like Cicely Saunders, we can become the most compassionate people on this earth. The history of the church is all about Christians being the most compassionate people around. Let's do all of these things. Let's be compassionate. Let's be those who don't run and flee when things get hard. Let's be the ones that are personally present with the sick and suffering, the hurting. Let's bring the presence of Christ to them. Let's pray for supernatural healing. Let's be the best medical professionals that we can be. Maybe if you are a nurse or a doctor or even a dentist, pray for your patients. Not out loud. Probably get in trouble for that. But you can pray in your heart. Chances are your hands are going to be on them. You're going to look them in the eye. It's okay to pray for them in your heart that God would heal them. If you're not a medical professional, pray, pray for medical professionals everywhere, researchers, that they find natural cures to things that, that, that are in God's world, new discoveries. And then pray and expect for God to circumvent our understanding and heal in miraculous ways. Always remembering that these are foretastes, glimpses into a better, fuller life that is to come. So do not forget to keep preaching the gospel day in and day out with your words and your deeds, helping people to see that these little glimpses that we get will come in full in the future by Jesus Christ, the author of salvation, the author of life, the author of all healing. Don't stop sharing the good news about Jesus, life, death, and resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, we're so in awe of your mighty power in this world, the power that we see witnessed in the early church, the power to heal both spiritually and physically. We know that none of this you have to do, but that you choose to come and restore that which is broken, that which we broke because you love us. God, I pray now that there might be some in the room who need healing, physical, emotional, psychological healing. God, I know that there's people in our church who need healing. Those who long to be pregnant that can't get pregnant. Those who have been fighting mental illness. God, heal your people. God, we pray powerfully in the name of Jesus Christ that you send your spirit and heal in mighty ways. That you make old things new, that you start new creations, that you give us glimpses into the kingdom that is to come. By your spirit, we pray expectantly that you can heal even here, even now today. Help us to receive your spirit, God, that it might restore us in every way, that we might trust your good will in our life, in your timing, knowing that you have given your son Jesus to us already, to restore us, to give us freedom from our sin, to give us new eternal life by the spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of this. 
Hear our hearts, God. Amen.